Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. As you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, uh, so this morning... Uh, We're continuing with a series that you guys created uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we asked everyone to fill out some index cards and answer this question, what should the church talk about more often? Good, bad, ugly, all, all, all the stuff in between. What should we as a community, not just our congregation, but what should we as a community of believers Christians overall be talking about so that we're more versed on, we have a better understanding of, so we can communicate to others about what we believe more effectively. Uh, And you guys gave us a whole series of questions. And I'll share this because uh, last week, uh, even though you guys didn't respond with that, or uh, I think one person online did when I asked the people online, we talked about how, why isn't the church talking more about the way that some Christians talk negatively to other people? And I shared with you guys that Mark Berkshire um, and I, we we do this Faith Responders podcast. I know, shameless plug. But we did an episode of it called Responding to Church Hurt, like people who felt like they were ridiculed or criticized or judged maybe because they walked in with tattoos or not the right clothing or whatever. And so they were like, I don't want to do church anymore. They walked away from the church. Um, The episode that I just put out, we just posted, I think, Thursday or Friday, we had a woman on, her name is Bree, and I'm sharing her name because she shares her name in the podcast, who shared some of the stuff that she went through about people who not only talked to her negatively, but treated her negatively. And I will say, if you're listening, uh, there's no bad language, but it's really raw. Some of the things she experienced, so maybe don't listen with your children in the room, depending on what age they are. And she talks about how she was like, if that, and this is, this, we didn't tell her to say this, this, these were her words, even though you've heard me say it over and over. She said the people that treated her that way in the church, in the congregation she was going to, she said, if that's the God of love that you guys are talking about, I want nothing to do with him. And she walked away from the church, said, I'm done with church, and tried to find God on her own, which led her into a bunch of different experiences that were not good. And you can listen to her talk about them in the podcast. But then she also talks about the fact that uh, because there were people who were able to step into her life and actually show her the love of Christ, she found the God that she was seeking, the God of the Bible, the God that showed her that love that the Bible talks about. And she's now a part of a healthy church, and she's using her experience to tell other people who have experienced legitimate hurt within the body of Christ that, hey, don't let that stop you from seeking God because that's not what all people are like. So I encourage you, um, some of you may know people who have went through that, who are like, yeah, because I was treated this way or this happened or that happened, good, bad, or otherwise, where they walked away from the body of Christ and said, I'm done. Listen to this and recommend that they listen to it because that should not be the end. That may make you take a pause, but it definitely should not be the end. Okay, so that being said, um, 
when you guys filled out the cards, someone actually filled out this. And they said, I'm not sure what to ask other than learning more, uh, more about more people in the Bible. Like, how can we learn about more people in the Bible? Because we'll go through books of the Bible, but that takes time, uh, right? We'll do topical things like we're doing now. We're talking about a series of topics, uh, like when we did when we talked about evangelism. But they specifically wanted to learn about people in the Bible. And I'm like, well, that works perfectly. I mean, God could not have set this up even better because, and they also said, and I'm, let me see, I don't remember exactly, but they said, hey, I'm satisfied with the teaching here, but that made me think, well, instead of just, hey, let's talk about one person in the Bible, let's launch a whole series where we talk about people in the Bible and look at how the mistakes they made, the trials they overcome, how they relate to us and how they relate to just people that we experience in our circles of influence. Not saying, hey, look at Jim, my neighbor, he does this. But look at, hey, there are people out there who make the same mistakes that people in the Bible made, but God loved them, and God loves me too. Now, today being Father's Day, I thought it would be great. Let's talk about Abraham, because he is technically and literally, even though that word is overused, the father of three different faiths. He's the father of Judaism, right? The, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He's also the father, many people don't know this, of Islam. They look back and trace their religious roots uh, to Ishmael, his son Ishmael, right? But then he's also the father of, I say father, but the father of Christianity. We trace our roots back to him, not by our lineage and birth, but because of our faith, because a lot of people don't know this, but the Christian understanding of faith comes from the example set by Abraham. He's the one that demonstrated what faith looks like and what it looks like to put your faith in God. So uh, we're going to be jumping around the Bible a lot, but we're going to start off in the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible Open it up to the book of Genesis, uh, and we're going to start at chapter 12. If you're using one of the Bibles on the table or under your seat, it's on page 8. So just flip a couple of pages as soon as you open it. Uh, we're also going to look in Genesis 15, uh, but that should be like the next page over. It's not too far uh, from where you're at. And for those who are kind of checking us out and watching us online, you can pull out your Bible as well. Unless you're driving, then don't do that. And you probably shouldn't be watching while you're doing that anyway but we'll pray for you. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 12, right? This is, this is what we read. The Lord had said to Abram, because that's what his name was before God changed it to Abraham, Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now, many people don't know this because even though the, the Israelite people trace their lineage to Abraham, Abraham lived in what we now call the Middle East, right? And he was amongst a group of people that worshiped multiple gods. He was not already following God. God kind of handpicked him and said, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your people, your father's household, and go to the land. I will show you. Verse 2, he says this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And verse 4 says this, So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. It was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And hear this. 
I need everybody to hear this. Hear this, hear this, hear this, hear this, hear this. You are never too old to start following God. It doesn't matter what your previous culture was, your previous religion was, your previous way of life was. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how many things you messed up on. We are never too old or never past the point where we can start saying, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to start following God. Right? So, he was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, who we know as Sarah because her name was changed later, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. But here's the thing you don't know also is that this was the second time God called him. Right? The first time... He was kind of not so responsive to God's call, and I'll show you why. In the book of Acts, there's a man named Stephen. Uh, he was what we call the first martyr, and as he was being judged for what he was preaching, the high priest asked Stephen, are the charges against you true? And then Stephen starts this whole like sermon-type deal, and he starts with this. Brothers and fathers, happy Father's Day, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans, that's Mesopotamia, and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent them to this land where you are now living. And many theologians believe that he had every intention of following it, but he was committed to his family. His father couldn't make the journey, so he stayed there and said, I'm going to put this on hold, God, until it's time for my father to go home. And then once his father did, he continued to follow what God had called him to do. Now, turn over the chapter, or excuse me, yeah, chapter 15 of Genesis, right, which should be like the next page, depending on your Bible. It says, verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And pay attention to this. He, meaning God, took him outside. So in other words, this was not a vision or a dream. This was God showing up in his life. He took him outside and said, look up in the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring breed. Now, two points. That word offspring, it means seed. So your biological descendants, they're going to be that many. But also it means seed as in something planted separate from you that sprouts, like you plant a seed of, of, of knowledge into someone of that thing. So it's also not just the physical descendants, but those of us who, who are the faith descendants. Does anyone remember that song? Like, uh, how's it going? Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. And that's all I remember of the song, yada, yada, yada. But... The whole thing is that is not saying that, hey, we're biological descendants of Abraham. It's saying because of our faith, we are faith descendants, 
of Abraham because we exercise the same faith. Now, when God said, and I love this, when God said, hey, look up into the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring break. According to scientists, and we know that changes because science is always growing as they learn more, in our galaxy alone, there are 100 billion different stars. In the universe, and we have not explored the entire universe because it is so big, they guesstimate just doing that type of math based on the number of galaxies and whatever, they guesstimate that there are, and I don't, I'm not, I've never used this word before, we'll probably never use it again, one septillion number of stars. And for those of us who was like, what is that? It's a one with 24 zeros after it. That's how many stars they believe. Now, if you think about it, and you think about not the nation of Israel that exists now, but that count the number of Israelite people that have existed since Abraham, add to that the number of Christians that have existed since Christ. And since we have no idea when God is going to return, that's the number of people that God is saying will be blessed by him and will be descendants of him because of his faith, right? And here's the, here's the key phrase, and this is where we're going to focus on this morning. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham put his faith and his trust in God, and God said this. This is, this is anyone remember Hebrews 11? Right? The, 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 what's it called? The, the, the Hall of Heroes, where it talks about all these people who demonstrated amazing faith. That's the type of faith Abraham did, because this is the way it defines faith, right? Because a lot of people get confused on what does faith mean and how do I exercise it. Here's the thing faith, it says, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Our faith is not blind. We're not just following something that doesn't exist, we have no evidence for. It's confidence, it's the same way as those of you who are sitting at the tables and the chairs, when you sat down, you expected that chair was gonna hold you, right? Nobody sat down expecting to hit the floor. However, some of us, I've done this, have sat in chairs that broke. They were old or whatever, uh, but we still sat down because we had some confidence. There was some evidence that we were using to say, this chair is going to hold me now. And that's the same thing that, that we do when we put our faith in Christ. Now, the very next thing, and I love this, that the author of Hebrews uses, and we're going to do a whole Bible study on Hebrews uh, in the fall, the, the author of Hebrews uses to demonstrate that faith is one that science first disagreed with, and then later proved to be true. Because in verse 3, it says, by faith, that same confidence, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And before anyone sends me any hate mail, I know I'm not saying that all scientists agree that God spoke the universe into existence. But scientists used to believe that the universe was eternal, that it had always existed. It's just always been here. But they found so much evidence, like the universe expanding. Uh, if you Google, I think it's called the red light emissions and all the, all the evidence they found that showed that the universe started from a single point. And here's the thing. All of the scientists, even the ones that don't believe in God, don't agree on God, they all agree that all space, time, and all matter 
came into existence when the universe began. So they agree that, hey, there was nothing visible here until the universe began. They agree that, hey, whenever the universe began, that's when there was nothing visible, there was nothing in existence, but whatever started the universe created space, started time, and created all the matter that we now see, right? But then, in, in the next couple of phrases, they talk about other people, but when they get to Abraham, this is what they say. By faith, that same kind of assurance, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Jacob, excuse me, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the promise. So uh, here's here, the author of, 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 of Hebrews is saying that Abraham demonstrated that same type of faith, right? He, he, he didn't see like where God was going him. He didn't know what God had in store for him, but he demonstrated that faith. And this verse, again, and this is the Amplified Version, he, Abraham, believed in, he trusted in, he relied on, he remained steadfast to the Lord, and he, meaning God, counted it to him as righteousness. That's how we put our faith in God. We believe in, trust in, we rely on, we remain steadfast to, and Abraham was not perfect, right? He made mistakes with his marriage and his wife. He made mistakes with his family. He made mistakes where he didn't obey God and he chose to do things his own way, but he still continued to trust in, rely on, and remain steadfast to the Lord. And this is what God said. God said, hey, you know what? Because you believe in me, because you trust in me, because you rely on me, and because you're going to remain steadfast in me, I'm going to put you in right standing with me. God says, if you're going to demonstrate that faith to me, then I'm going to put you in right standing with me. I'm going to make you what we call, and a big uh, giant term is justified in God's sight. Now, here's the thing. Uh, in the next couple of minutes, like five, ten minutes, I'm going to explain this, but we're going to dig into some deep theology, but I'm going to put it in layman's terms, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not the super educated. I mean, I have degrees. I have three degrees. See, not that educated. Three degrees, but I like things simple, just short, sweet, simple, to the point, layman's terms. Give me the short words. If you use a big $12 word, I'm going to say, can I just have a vowel? Just give me the short, what is the, I mean, keep it short, sweet, and to the point. So here's what I ask you to do. Everyone take a deep breath. Let it out. If you have coffee, take a sip of coffee. Uh, take a bite of sugar, wash it down, right? So we're going to jump in. It's going to sound, well, that doesn't make sense. And then we're going to take it into very simple ABC type words, all right? So here's what Paul says in the book of Romans, right? He says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. And he's talking about there were people who were saying, well, the only way we can get in right standing with God is we have to obey his commands. We've got to check this, check this, check this, check this, this, this. And Paul was like, well, that's not true. He said, what's when we say uh, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, like all the descendants uh, of Abraham, discovered in this matter? 
If, in fact, Abraham was justified, or put in right standing, by works, by the things he did, he had something to boast about, but not before God. He would be able to say, hey, I did this. This was all me. I did this. But we know that's not the case. And this is, again, Romans, Paul, writing to the church in Rome, he says, but what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's making the argument that we don't have to try to earn God's grace. We don't have to try to work our way into heaven. We don't have to try to do enough good stuff because we can't to meet God's standard. We just have to do what Abraham did, put our faith and our trust in God. Now, I'm going to put this next verse in the message version, which is just like common plain English. It's not a, a, a translation, but more a paraphrase. And he says this, this is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely entirely on trusting God and his way, and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get down on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of him, and here's the key, for Abraham is the father of us all, not our racial father. That's reading it backwards. He is our faith father. He's the father of us all because we can get into a relationship with God by demonstrating the same faith that he did. Now, he says this in Galatians, answer the question. I love that he asks questions because that's what I like to do. Answer the question, does God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, so again, presence of God, Holy Spirit of God, one and the same, does God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your life you can never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Does God give you his Holy Spirit because you've checked all the boxes, you've done this and you've done that, you've done this, you've done that? Because if he did, the moment you stop doing that or mess up, he'd have to take it back because you no longer meet the standard. So he doesn't do it based on us trying to achieve it and do all these things. He does it based on his grace. He says this, do these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham? He believed God, and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Is it not obvious to you that persons who put their trust in Christ, not persons who put their trust in the law or a politician or a set of things we have to do or who say, I'm going to give enough money or who say, I'm going to volunteer enough or who say, I'm going to show up every single Sunday, none of that matters or people who put their trust in the law are like Abraham, children of faith. It was all laid out beforehand in Scripture that God would set things right with non-Jews by faith. And Scripture anticipated this and the promise to Abraham, all nations will be blessed by you. We're not blessed because we're his biological descendants. We're blessed because we now know by his act of faith what it takes to get into a relationship with God. He says, so those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who live by faith. This is no new doctrine. And there are people who will say, well, hey, that's just something that Paul came up with in the New Testament. There are people who are called, uh, and I'm not judging them, Torah observers. They claim to be Christians, but they say we still have to abide by the law. And this is what Paul was dealing with. He said, this isn't a new doctrine. And he says this, and this is key. 
Anyone who tries to live by his own effort independent of God is doomed to failure. Anyone who says, well, I'm going to obey the set of commandments, even though I'm a Christian today, you're not going to do it because the law says utterly curses every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. So if you say, I'm not going to eat pork, you also have to obey the law that says you can't use the bathroom inside the camp. So I hope you have an outhouse. If you obey the law that says, well, I'm, uh, yes, I'm going to go by the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. That's great. But if you're trying to live by the law, you also have to obey the law that says you can't wear, like, I think it's cotton and linen together. Right? And worse, you got to obey the law that says no bacon. Who wants to live like that? Nobody. Right? So here's, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is not how we're supposed to live. Now, I want to show you this, because here's how all of these religions trace back to Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob had 12 children that became the 12 tribes of Israel on which Judaism is based. They became the nation of Israel. Right? Ishmael was the son of Abraham through his handmaid Hagar, and that is the basis for all of Islam, Shuni and Shiite Muslims in Islam, right? Based on tracing it through Ishmael. They all trace their biological line, lineage, back to Abraham. Christianity does not have a biological line to Isaac, to Judaism, to Ishmael, or to Abraham. We are connected to him because he is the father that showed us, here is how you put your faith and trust in God. And although all three of these religions have a lot of things in common, I don't know if you can see this because this is really mushed together, right? They have a lot of things in common. They also have a lot of things that separate them. And here's the defining things for us. We're not obey obedient to the whole law, right? We're obedient to what? Jesus Christ said, which is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this new command that he gave us, love one another, other fellow Christians, the way that Jesus loved them. So although all of these are kind of connected and trace all their lineage back, we are the only ones of these three that says we don't get to God by works. We say, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Judaism says you have to obey these commandments. Uh, there's a whole list of things uh, that in Islam that you have to obey. But if you're a Christian, you just have to put your faith and your trust in God. So many people struggle with this. I'm going to show you this. Um, and I was hesitant to even add this because last week, after we got done, my son Brandon, he said, hey, that was a great sermon, but I felt like you were just going to go on and on about social media because that was the first like 20 minutes. So I'm hesitant to show you this, but I want you to understand that this is something that so many people struggle with, right? Uh, and this is another um, question that someone sent to me. She said, uh, and I crossed out her name, she said, this is the one and only problem I have, and she was saying with Christianity. She said, 
You can be a, and I'll get back to that word, blank, and ask for forgiveness and get in, but you can be a good person all your life and never get in. She said, this is why I don't, this is my problem with Christianity. She said, you can be a, and she used the word, how can I say it, for someone who does not nice things to children. She said, you can be that, ask for forgiveness, and then you get into heaven and God accepts you. But if you're a good person all your life, you may never get in. And I said, yeah, that's true. Because no matter how good you try to be, you can't meet God's standards. Not the person who does bad things to children, not the person who does great things for children, not Mr. Rogers, not Betty uh, White, not the butcher, the baker, or candlestick maker. No matter how good you are, you can't get in. You can't do enough good. But every person has to accept the finished work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and understand that it's by grace that we're saved. It's not anything that we can do. It's a gift from God. The only thing that we have to do is say, I accept it and I believe it and demonstrate the faith that Abraham did. On a side note, I did tell her that every person, when we do bad things, we will pay the consequences for those things here. Right? The thief on the cross was the first person to put his faith and his trust in, in, in who was not like a regular Christian or one of his disciples, to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He still had to die for stealing because that was the penalty back then. He still had to pay the earthly consequences, just as we do. But every single person who puts their faith and their trust and God is able to step across the line of faith and experience him as a heavenly father. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And then I'm going to ask you each to bow your heads. God, we realize that in our homes, in our schools, and in our communities, there are so many people that think just like this woman did. That they can get to you, they can get to heaven, that they will be able to spend eternity with you if they give enough money, if they do enough good things, if they live a life uh, that checks so many boxes. And all of that is in opposition to your word, which says that we can't do that, but you are willing to accept us if we merely put our faith and our trust in the finished work that your son did on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. All we have to do is accept it and believe it. And God, I pray that there are people this morning all across this nation as we celebrate Father's Day, whether they're hurting because of the loss of a heavenly, uh, I mean, a loving father in their life, or they're hurting because they didn't have a loving father in their life, I pray that they experience your, your love this morning by just stepping across the line of faith and putting their faith and their trust and being willing to believe in and trust in and rely on you as their heavenly father. God, we pray that they would experience your goodness, your grace, and your love this morning. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. Amen, amen. amen. 
We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.